Sorry. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It began in 1955. That's when Disneyland was formed there in Anaheim, California. But I was 10 years of age, and I was privileged to go to the very opening of Disneyland. As an uncle of mine took me at 10 years of an age to Disneyland. And then later, as I was growing up, I heard about the Mickey Mouse Club. The words Mickey Mouse actually have been taken in our culture to refer to things not necessarily all so great. People calling it, well, that's just Mickey Mouse. Well, just Mickey Mouse made billions of dollars. Walt Disney made billions of dollars, and he was quite a fella. Believe it or not, the first Disneyland tickets sold for $1 in 1955. A man with a million dreams had conjured up a theme park of gargantuan proportions. Walt Disney and his brother Roy, who oversaw the finances of W.E.D. Walt Disney Enterprises were getting ready for their park to open up. Roy decided that he would do Walt a solid and purchase the first ticket to Disneyland as it was thought to be remembered as a historical occasion. So on the opening day, July 17th, 1955, the two brothers went to ticket booth number two and Walt saw Roy purchase the very first tickets to Disneyland. Indeed, it was a historic moment one of which all wished we could have witnessed. Roy seemed to have thought it was a very special item because when he passed away, the weathered paper ticket was found in his personal desk drawer at Walt Disney Studios. So you can imagine purchasing an adult ticket to Disneyland on opening day for a single dollar. That's right. Shocking. Considering the price for admission for a one-day ticket now is upwards of over $200. Another thing to consider about the price of park admission in 1955 was how you could also have to buy separate tickets for each ride or attraction. My wife is sitting with me here today to enjoy the reminiscing over this particular matter. You could buy a ticket book for $2.50 filled with tickets ranging from A-type attractions to E-attractions, with E being the more thrilling, exciting rides. Or you could purchase a single ticket anywhere from $0.10 to $0.35. I'm looking at pictures of those tickets even as we speak. However, as amazing as Disneyland was and is... There's something more to the picture, because Disneyland and Disney, the company, has become a metaphor for America, not only America's rise and exceptionalism, but America's decline. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to ride that roller coaster. Yeah, we're not going to go to Disneyland, but just figuratively, we're going to ride the roller coaster of Disney ride, Disney's rise and fall, and how it affects you, it affects me, it affects our country, and even the world. 
So I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And here is an interesting piece coming from The Spectator in Australia. Here is the title, friends. Disney and Empire in Decline. Remember I said Disney is a metaphor for America. So substitute the word America for Disney, America and Empire in Decline. That's what we're looking at here today on Viewpoint. We're going to look at the glories. We're going to look at the exciting things, the remembrances, and so on. Uh, For many who are in their 60s or 70s, you will well remember those events of Disneyland. And those of you who are younger have taken your children to Disney World or Disneyland or who knows what other Disney events and entertainment you have seen, whether it's movies or whatever entertainment. Disney has largely governed the entire entertainment world. But the spectator in Australia says that Disney is an empire in decline. Apocryphal or not, it's a perfect illustration of how focusing on trivial things can have far-reaching consequences. In this case, the end of the longest-lasting empire in recorded history. Oh, well, actually, they began this article by focusing not on Disney, but by focusing on the Russian, excuse me, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. Yeah, it was great. But bread and circuses destroyed the Roman Empire. The people lost their moorings and their morals. And the same has happened with Disney. The animation company that started when two brothers sold a short live-action cartoon for $1,500 has evolved into a multinational corporation. It's done so by exercising a vice-like grip on the world of entertainment, writes The Spectator in Australia. But all is not well in the land of make-believe. In recent years, its stocks have been on more of a roller coaster ride than one of its own theme park rides. In the last two years, Disney's share price has fallen 50%. It reached a seven-year low during the final quarter of 2022. And it reflects a growing lack of investor confidence in the company. But the obvious question to ask is why? Again, I'm reading excerpts from an article that came from Australia, friends. In other words... There are people around the world that look at things in this country and things that emanate from this country and see things differently than we do. And so here on Viewpoint, we attempt to connect the dots and help us to see a bigger and broader picture so that we don't miss amid our day-to-day endeavors, we lose sight of really what is happening out there. We don't see the bigger picture. Here on Viewpoint, we try to portray the bigger picture so that we can actually find connection for ourselves that might bring about helpful and hopeful change. So when the spectator in Australia asked the question why investors are losing confidence in Disney, you might say or substitute 
Why are the American people losing confidence in their own institutions? Why are the American people losing confidence in the Congress, in the presidency, in the Department of Justice, which is facetiously now called the Department of Injustice? Why are the American people losing such confidence? Maybe it has a lot to do with why the investors are losing confidence in Disney. But the truth is that Disney's been hemorrhaging money for years, just like the American nation has been through our leaders. Wow. Is Disney a metaphor for America's destiny? That's our question. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. Today we're taking a look, a ride on the rides of Disney. Disneyland. Disney World. From the West Coast to the East Coast. Disneyland began in 1955, right there on July 17th. I was there to open the gates, so to speak. As a 10-year-old, my uncle took me to celebrate and be there and enjoy that experience. He bought me a brownie camera so that I could take some pictures there. I don't know if I still have any of those or not. But today on Viewpoint, we're taking a look, yes, in a, uh, a look of nostalgia for many, but an honest look of integrity concerning our culture, because Disney has, in many respects, defined American culture, both for the good and the ill. And so we're taking a look at this, as you might say, what is happening with Disney is also happening with America. So you might draw the conclusion that, in fact, the trajectory or direction or even destiny of Disney is in many respects connected with the destiny of America. I have before me dozens of articles related to uh, Disneyland, Disney, all of its enterprises, its movies, and so on. And we're not going to spend time talking about all of the movies. There are very many, many different movies. But interestingly, here is an article that was of particular interest. Historic Disneyland food shops that bring us back to 1955. The Carnation Cafe. The Plaza Inn, the Jolly Holiday Bakery Cafe, the Mint Julep Bar, the Plaza Inn, and so on. All of these, but the unfortunate thing is that another article says that the quality of the food has actually decreased. In other words, what used to be something very special 
to be experienced in Disneyland is not experienced anymore in that way. Why would that be? Well, it's about money. It's about money. It's all about money. And so isn't that the connection that we have here also in our country today? Money rules. Isn't that what Bill Clinton said? It's the economy, stupid. Those words, it's the economy, stupid, have rung so familiarly ever since the day of Bill Clinton that they continue to echo today. It's all about money. And unfortunately, that's what happened to Disney. It began about the miracle of entertainment for children, a pure kind of entertainment, refreshing. Kids could uh, experience something that was uh, uh, fresh, something that was wholesome, that would uh, get their imagination going. Today, what is the focus? The focus is on steering the thoughts to that which is unhealthy, unholy, immoral, in order to capture not the children for righteousness, but the culture for unrighteousness. That, my friends, is what is happening. But who would have ever believed such a thing to happen in and out of Disneyland and the Disney Company? We're going to continue looking at this, and we're also, in the second half of the program, going to look at what Movie Guide said about Walt Disney and his Christian faith. It may surprise you, Walt Disney and his Christian faith. But before we get there, we need a little bit of nostalgia. That's why my wife came into the studio today, to experience some of that nostalgia. And so we're going to hear uh, a little bit of that nostalgia as we look at uh, and listen to the Mickey Mouse Club. The Mickey Mouse Club. Can we handle that? Yeah. 
See, there you go. The Mickey Mouse Club. There were several iterations of that particular music, intro and so on. And uh, who knows, we might actually be able to listen to the Musketeers, the Mouseketeers, as we continue on with the program here today. But let's talk briefly about uh, one of the most famous Mouseketeers. Her name was Annette Funicello. She was the darling of the Mickey Mouse Club. The darling of the Mickey Mouse Club. And... uh, She was born in 1942. She died in 2013, and she died of MS. A beautiful girl, the queen of the Mickey Mouse Club, died of MS that twisted her body. She was an American actress and singer. She began as a child performer at the age of 12 was the most popular of the Mouseketeers at the original Mickey Mouse Club. In her teenage years, she recorded under the name Annette and had a successful career as a pop singer. And uh, we're not going to go through the various songs that she had, but in 1992, Annette Funicello announced that she had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. She died of complications. In 2013, she was born in New York to Italian-Americans and then moved to Southern California when she was four years of age. She took dancing and music lessons when she was a child in order to overcome her shyness. In 1955, the 12-year-old was discovered by Walt Disney when she performed as the Swan Queen in Swan Lake at a dance recital at the Starlight Bowl in Burbank, California. So Disney cast her as one of the original Mouseketeers. She was the last to be selected and one of the few cast members to be personally selected by Walt Disney himself. Now here's a little trivia. In 1955, she signed a seven-year contract with Disney for $160 a week. That would rise to $500 a week if all the options were exercised. She proved to be very popular. By the end of the first season of the Mickey Mouse Club, she was receiving 6,000 letters a month. More than any other Mouseketeer. Well, that's nostalgia. That's nostalgia for many. The Mickey Mouse Club. It aired from 1955 to 1996. And then it returned to social media in 2017. It was created by Walt Disney and introduced by Walt Disney Productions. The program was first televised for four seasons from 1955 to 1959, beginning the same year that Disneyland began. And it involved an ever-changing cast of mostly teen performers. It was always wholesome. And it kind of oversaw teenage life in that era. That is, if you weren't completely into the gyrations of Elvis. But then there was a man 
There was a man by the name of Walt, Walt Disney. He was at the very heart of all of this. I'd like to share with you what Movie Guide magazine has to say, or had to say, about Walt Disney and his life, particularly as a Christian. He said, I was grounded in old-fashioned religious observance. My people, he said, were zealous members of the Congregational Church in our hometown in Missouri. Uh, Missouri. My father, Elias Disney, who was a contractor, built our local church, he said, and was a deacon in the congregation. I was baptized there and attended Sunday school regularly, he said. Every Sunday now, he said, I drive my two daughters... Diane and Sharon to Sunday school, and they like so well that they stay for the regular services as well. I believe firmly in the efficacy of religion in its powerful influence on a person's whole life. It helps immeasurably to meet the storms and stresses of life and to keep you attuned to the divine inspiration. Without inspiration, he said, we would perish. Hmm... I wonder what that might say about the future of America. Without divine inspiration, we might perish. And if divine inspiration was at the heart of what Walt Disney produced, and if they forsook the divine inspiration for cultural domination... What does that say to us about the pursuit of all of the things cultural as opposed to the things of Christ in America? Remember, we're talking about how Disney perhaps has become a powerful metaphor for all America. Let's take a look further at what Walt Disney had to say about his faith. He said, all I ask of myself is to live a good Christian life. And toward that objective, I bend every effort in shaping my personal, domestic, and professional activities and growth. Wow. That was really unsolicited. He was talking with the people interviewing him with the Movie Guide magazine. Before his death. Question. Could you say the same thing about your life? All I ask is to live a good Christian life toward the objective that I bend every effort in shaping my personal, domestic, and professional activities and growth. In other words, everything about my life is to be about the life of Christ. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Now, would I consider Walt Disney an evangelical Christian in the way that the term evangelical is normally understood? Probably not. Probably not. But in terms of the way our world, our government, and the seculars would describe, oh, they would definitely call him an evangelical Christian. 
They probably would call him a right winger. Because he actually believed in moral truth. He actually was convinced that morality was at the heart of a culture in which Disneyland and the whole Disney Corporation would succeed. What happened? What happened, friends? And what is happening right now? And is what is happening right now also happening to you? Maybe your church? so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. If the first Disneyland ticket sold for a dollar in 1955, why have ticket prices risen to over $200 a person in 2023? Is it just due to standard inflation? No. In fact, the history of Disney is that they have raised their prices far faster than the price of inflation. Why? It's all about power. It's all about control. It's all about domination. So they weren't satisfied. The problem was not with Walt Disney. The problem was with the heart of those who were running the Disney company aside from Walt Disney. Their heart was not there. They had other agendas. Remember, our country, the United States of America, was largely found by the heart of those people whose hearts were dedicated to the creator of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. But even by 50 years after the pilgrims landed in 1620, and the Puritans landed in 1630, that Harvard University was founded and so on, even within 50 years, they began to decline. They began to deteriorate in their spiritual focus. Harvard University founded to train pastors and Christian leaders. Look where it is today. It's just like Disney. Just like Disney. People look to Disney as the one that controls and oversees the entertainment empire in the world. It is the image of entertainment in the world. 
America also was the image of good and righteousness in the world. But the image that Disney now conveys to the world is not righteous, but unrighteous. The image that America now images to the world is not righteous, but unrighteous. In other words, Disney and America have followed exactly the same trajectory of deterioration. And Disney, then, is a living metaphor as a company for our country. Now, that would seem to be a fact beyond dispute. The question, then, is what do you do in response? Is there anything that you and I can do in response? And if so, what should we do? Like Edmund Burke once said, I can't do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I should do, and by the grace of God, I will do. So what would you do? How would you respond? Well, in order to understand how to respond, we have to understand what happened. We have to understand and agree that it began good, honorable, wholesome, and in some respects, you could say almost holy because of its purity. But it didn't stop there. Because that kind of success wasn't sufficient. No, we had to have more power. We had to have more money. We had to have more control. And that required pandering to the worldly aspects of the culture. So Disney gradually deteriorated and began to pander to the culture, to accept the ways of the culture, not to entertain the culture, but to accept the ways of the culture, which was contrary to the vision and heart of its founder, Walt Disney. Now, let's dig a little deeper here. Do you not see the very same patterns having taken place in our churches? It's not just in the nation as a whole. It's in our churches. Do we not see how our churches have increasingly over the past 50, 60 years, in fact, almost ever since Disneyland came on the scene in 1955, do we not see how America's churches have gradually and increasingly pandered to the ways of the culture in order to gain some sort of market presence in the culture, just as Disney was trying to gain market presence by compromising their initial vision. In the church, we've done exactly the same thing. In fact, not only have we done the same thing in the compromise, But remember, Disney was formed for entertainment of children. A wholesome kind of entertainment. Why has the church decided to become an engine of entertainment? Have you noticed that that's the pattern? Have you noticed that that has become the pattern for the past 50 years? My wife and I have 
watched what has happened in the church from coast to coast over the past 50 years, particularly over the past 40 years. And it's very palpable. You can see it everywhere. You see it not only in what is said and what is not said. You see it even in the forms of so-called worship experiences. For instance, one church that we were involved with, I was a volunteer pastor in that congregation for eight years. When we began there, it was a wonderful, growing place where the Word of God was taught and preached. But gradually, the vision of leadership became, well, we want to be more like the culture. We want to win the culture. And so entertainment, the spirit of entertainment began to become predominant to the point where even the music changed dramatically. The kind of music, the decibel level of the music became more like a rock concert. It became so loud that ultimately my wife and I removed ourselves to the back of the church trying to survive the level of the decibel level, and finally it got so loud we had to remove ourselves out into the foyer just to protect our God-given hearing. But that's not all. Ultimately, that same congregation, led by the pastor, decided to change the outlook of the the very environment in which the so-called message of the gospel was going to be presented. So what did he do? Moved into a building that had no windows. Blackened out the entire interior so that all that could be seen was artificial light and particularly spotlights to focus on a stage. So what happened on the stage? Well, instead of a pulpit or some chairs, it became like American Bandstand. Actually stands like American Bandstand or some other entertainment focus staged across the stage where the so-called worship people and the musicians would sit. It was all staged cultural entertainment. That has been the trajectory, friends, from coast to coast of what's happening in our congregations. We want so badly to be like the culture that we have decided to emulate the culture supposedly to win people to Christ. So question, what is happening with regard to people and Disney? Are American families increasingly uh, setting their hearts and their lives on Disney entertainment, on Disneyland, on uh, uh, Disney World and so on? Well, they're still going, but they're declining. Why are they declining? They're declining because they pandered to 
an element of the culture that was so discordant, discontinuous with the vision of Walt Disney that it actually brought the success of the Disney company. And now the entire country company is deteriorating. It's lost billions of dollars. And it's going to continue to lose billions of dollars until such time as they can reassess and bring themselves back to the original vision. Question, do you think they will? Do you think they will? No, they won't. Because they do not have the same spiritual vision and outlook that Walt Disney had. So in order for us to see our country, if Disney is a metaphor for our country, in order for us to see our country restored, even if Disney is not, we're going to have to recognize where we went astray where Disney went astray, and where we in our churches have gone astray. We can't continue to do the same thing in the same way and pursue bread and circuses in our churches. That's what killed the Roman Empire. Disney became the world's entertainment leader because of the vision of Walt Disney. A godly man. What's happened today? Where are we going to go today? First of all, we'll take a look when we get back at what Christian filmmakers have said about Walt Disney and the Disney Company. And then we're going to take a look at what you and I can do, how you and I can personally respond to this situation. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're talking about Mickey Mouse. We're talking about Disney. We're talking about Disney as a metaphor for America's future. And if Disney is in decline, which even an article coming from Australia is telling us, then what should this say about us as a people, as a country? I have in my hands an article, Christian Filmmakers Praise Walt But Fault Disney. 
Hundreds of Christian filmmakers gathered in Texas to study entertainment pioneer Walt Disney and how they believed his corporate heirs at the Walt Disney Company went astray from his family-friendly legacy. The Christian Filmmakers Academy, which trains aspiring filmmakers and promotes the making of films with biblical values, contends that the Walt Disney Company became an engine of cultural decline. Notice those words, an engine of cultural decline after Walt's death. When did Walt Disney die? He died in 1966, the year my wife and I were married. All right, let's take a look at that. You may not think that's particularly significant, but as I have said so many times here on the program, for some reason, God has made it possible, ordained such a thing, that my wife and I would experience viscerally in front of our eyes, from coast to coast, the the breadth of American life and the church and its blessings and its deterioration. I was there the day Disneyland opened, July 17th, 1955. I was 10 years of age. In 1966, when Walt Disney died, my wife and I were married. In a week and a half, that'll be 57 years of marriage. These Christian filmmakers said that Walt, the Walt Disney Company became an engine of cultural decline after Walt Disney's death. They say it has exercised an alarming, vast global influence. Indeed, they're right. Despite their admiration of Walt Disney, the focus on Disney, the company, reflects growing discomfort among evangelical Christians with content and reach of the company's entertainment products. Disney's relationship with the U.S. Christian community has been strained over the past decade, over issues such as Disney policies concerning uh, friendly to the homosexual community. Even though Christian groups in 2005 halted a nine-year boycott of the company. What we really see is a decline, they said, in the ethics and standards of where Walt Disney was coming from. A decline in the ethics and standards Well, that's exactly what's happened in the church. That's exactly what's happened in our homes, friends, professing Christians' homes. Then the leader of the academy said, we are making the case that there is a departure toward politically correct filmmaking that has a negative effect on family. Over the years, evangelicals have been angered by what they described as Disney's uh, Disney's, homosexual-friendly policies that included airing a coming-out episode on the ABC television show Ellen and allowing gay and lesbian days at Disney parks. The groups also objected to some films with graphic anti-religious themes. No wonder now one of the candidates for the presidency of the United States, the governor of 
of uh, Florida has been carrying on a legal war, which essentially is a moral war against Disney that has one of its premier theme parks right there in Orlando, Florida. In other words, things have gone way out of hand. Disney's an empire in decline. Moral and spiritual decline that is governing its decline in every other area. The same is true with regard to the church. How are we going to import the true gospel of Jesus Christ into a unbelieving world when we ourselves are acting and thinking like the unbelievers? In other words, the spirit of Disney, not Walt Disney, but the spirit of the Disney company now, is actually defining America's destiny and demise. And that's exactly what the Spectator magazine in Australia has concluded. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Now, we may not like to hear it this way. But there are many ways to get across a message. Many ways to get across a message. And this is a message that has to be gotten across. It just has to be gotten across. There's no way, friends, that we can expect any change, any wholesome change, unless we change. The Mickey Mouse Club is gone. However righteous or unrighteous the Mickey Mouse Club was. They were teenagers. Maybe we should hear their song again. I don't know. Maybe we can hear it sung by the Mouseketeers themselves. M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. Now it's time to say goodbye What do we do? What can you and I do? Well, what we can do is defined by what we must be. When I wrote the book, Renewing the Soul of America, in 2002, it was endorsed by 38 national Christian leaders. Do you know why they, that many leaders endorsed this book? Because for the first time, in fact, it's the only time since in the, in the past 30 years that a book has been written addressing the reader as the solution to the problem. The only book. All the others are finger-pointing book at somebody else. Designed to raise money designed to make people feel good that they wear the white hat and everybody else wears the black hat. When God says, no, it's my people. If my people, the ones who profess my name, if you guys would 
come before me, would pray, seek my face, and turn from your own wicked ways. Then I would hear from heaven, forgive your sin, and heal your land. So how do you translate all of that into practicum for our lives? That's what he did. That's what we did in the book, Renewing the Soul of America. That's the reason why the late Adrian Rogers, pastor of the Bellevue Baptist Church, former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, said this in opening of that book. America's on the brink. We may be on the brink of blessing or incredible judgment. I firmly believe that God is our only hope, and at the same time, God himself is our biggest threat. It is my conviction that we do not need to persuade God to bless us as a nation, but permit him to do so. It would be glorious if every spiritual and religious leader in America could read this book that is Renewing the Soul of America. That's just one of the 38 national Christian leaders that endorsed the book. Dr. Tony Evans, Renewing the Soul of America is America's Only Hope, a must-read. And so on. Now, I want to give you a clue as to why this book is life-changing. Why these 38 national Christian leaders endorse this book and why it is more important today than it was the day it was written. Here are some of the chapters. Restoring the American vision. In other words, without a vision, the people perish. Disney has perished because of the lack of Walt's vision. Sorry, it has. A matter of principle, we must be restored to principled living. Nothing but the truth. We must be restored to be lovers of the truth. The lamp of virtue. I'm reading the chapter titles. Without virtue, we cannot maintain a republic. Our founders said that. Our sacred honor. The signers of the Declaration of Independence signed that. Pledging their lives, their fortunes, their sacred honor. Do we have any sacred honor left? even among professing Christians? And if so, how are we living that out? Is it really sacred? Semper Fi, meaning always faithful. Take courage. As one leader said, courage lost all lost. Faith and freedom, the link between faith and freedom in our own lives Becoming my brother's keeper, what does that mean? What does it look like for my life, my family, and our country? Compassion that counts. The integrity gap. Becoming a man, a woman of integrity. That what I say is revealed in how I live. You see, that's what it was for Walt Disney but it's not like that for the Disney company. Heritage and hope. Oh, we have a good and godly heritage. And our hope is linked to that, but if we don't live that hope out in reality, 
according to the heritage, our heritage becomes nothing but an idol. A hope and a purpose. Restoring hope and restoring purpose in our lives. Decision and destiny. You see, there are decisions that have to be made by you and by me. We have to decide today if we have any hope for change tomorrow. Question. Can a nation ship shipwreck? Indeed it can. Nations have shipwrecked. Entire empires are shipwrecked. The Disney empire is shipwrecking. How do we change course as a people? The lighthouse. Did you know that God calls you and me to be a walking lighthouse? That's right. Jesus said, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But he, he, he left. He ascended back to the Father and he said, now you're the light of the world. Are we living that light? Or are we like what Jesus said, but if the light that is in you be darkness, then how great is that darkness? And so the final chapter of the book, Can America Count on You? On Me? This is one of the most practical books you can possibly imagine to translate the hope of the future. It's an $18 book, yours for $15, Renewing the Soul of America. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. We've got to have change that we can believe in, my friends. We don't want to go down the tubes like Disney. Or do we? You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.